Hey there, everyone. It is so good to be back with you today for another episode of the In Focus podcast to take another fresh look at the Bible and some big Christian ideas and how they bring the world into focus and empower us to live a more eternal kind of life within it. Today, we are taking a look at a pattern that emerges in Jesus's life that reveals a very important aspect of the way of Jesus for us here and now. We will get to that shortly, but first some introductory thoughts coming to us from John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. For about 500 years now, Protestants of all shapes and sizes and varieties have embraced Jesus as the truth. We love to study, we love the brainy and intellectual parts of our religion, we love to analyze and theorize and theologize, and then we love to bicker and argue about whose brains have best come to understand and ascertain the truth. Also within Protestantism, a smaller group called evangelicals heartily embrace and proclaim Jesus as the life. We believe it, we want to convince others of it so that they too might have life in Jesus, but unfortunately for many of us evangelicals, the only thing really in our view is the afterlife. So many evangelicals get fixated on how Jesus guarantees themselves and others a good afterlife, but have a little bit harder time making sense of life right here and now. As a result, evangelical Christology is often squished down so that Jesus becomes almost exclusively Savior. He's the one who forgives an individual's sins in order to ensure them that good afterlife. Uh, In the Bible, though, the word Savior occurs a total of only 36 times. Lord, on the other hand, occurs over 7,800 times. And unfortunately, evangelicals struggle with what to make of this overwhelming biblical emphasis and its undeniable implications on how we actually live and prioritize our very real lives right here and right now. We definitely want to be saved for a good afterlife, but we are uncomfortable often stepping down from the throne of our own lives in order to let Jesus call the shots. This brings us to the third, uh, the final third of John 14, verse 6, that Jesus is the way. As it is said in Hebrews chapter 12, Jesus is the founder and the example of the kind of people we are to be and the kind of life we are to be living. And while the details fluctuate, no doubt, and vary for each of us, the essence of who we are and how we live should be the same as Jesus, as stated in John chapter 14 and Hebrews chapter 12. The patterns and types of experiences of Jesus's life will be consistent with the patterns and experiences of our lives. The habits and rhythms and practices by which Jesus walked out his life in God should be the same habits and rhythms and practices by which we live out our lives in God. Because Jesus wasn't just an ideal, he's not just a savior, he's our example, and he is the way. So, 
Beginning and ending every episode, I say something about this podcast empowering us to live a more eternal kind of life. And I'm very excited today because this episode, more than any others previously, unpacks one of the most significant ways of Jesus by which, in our very real lives, we can intentionally respond to and intentionally follow Jesus' example into a more eternal kind of life. His way of living, his way of posturing himself to be with God, his way of living to hear God's voice and to discern God's work uh, in order to be and do everything he was called and created to be and do. It should be practical, it's concrete, it's clear, it's for us, it is the way. So, let's get to it then. Uh, Throughout Jesus' life, there's a pattern of Jesus setting himself apart to God in silence and solitude. Let's sit on that for a second, and I'm going to repeat that one more time just to help it echo and reverberate a little bit in our minds. Throughout Jesus' life, there's a pattern of Jesus setting himself apart to God in silence and solitude. So we read in the Gospels, life was blazing along, ministry was great, lives were being changed, and then Jesus would disappear and the disciples would inevitably end up finding him secluded and alone in silence and solitude on a lonely mountainside. This was Jesus's way. It was a way the disciples couldn't have helped Uh, But observing, it was a way they would have sought and learned to emulate because they were disciples and Jesus was their rabbi. It was a way that had been passed down, has been passed down throughout Christian history, at least in pockets of faithful believers still seeking Jesus and who have not forgotten that Jesus is actually the way and he's the way for us to continue living still today. Uh, So today we're going to look at two short verses where this pattern emerges in the beginning of Mark's gospel in Jesus' life. And as we thoughtfully reflect on these verses, a picture will be painted for us of Jesus' way and some of what we might expect as we follow his way and his example of walking with God in order to be and do all that we have been created to be and do. So here we go. Mark chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. So in this short passage, five prominent details help reveal the way for us, as exemplified by Jesus, regarding the practice of silence and solitude and some of what we might expect as we walk the same path that has been modeled for us by Jesus. So first things first, number one, the leading of the Holy Spirit is critical and obvious in the example of Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit that drove him beyond the chaos, the noise, and the activity of daily life. Number two, the number 40. Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days. 
The number 40 is indicative of a divine and historical pattern and calls into, into remembrance a number of Old Testament situations. First, Moses was on the mountain with God for 40 days when God revealed himself to Moses and spoke to Moses the Ten Commandments that provided the parameters by which God's people could faithfully live before him. Uh, Number two, Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years, wrestling with temptation and being purified before entering into God's promises and their own destiny and calling in him. And finally, Elijah walked through the wilderness for 40 days before coming to the mountain of God where God was revealed to him, not in the chaos and power of violent winds or a powerful earthquake or raging fires, but in a still, small voice. So we have a quick reminder, the leading of the Holy Spirit, which is um, very important in this process and in this practice. We have the number 40. Then we have Satan's opposition. Many Christians have recognized that silence and solitude and then the naturally resulting and predictable personal transformation uh, as the product, byproduct of silence and solitude, by which we be and do all that we were created to be and do um, as the most important practices for modern Christians because our world is so unrelenting in its busyness, its noise, its distractions, and all these things buffer us from genuinely experiencing and knowing God. I might add on a personal note here that many times church services are even adopted into this same mindset where it's busy, noisy, distracting, and very, very entertaining as a whole. But again, all these things, uh, though they may uh, satisfy us like smoking a cigarette or eating sugar, only buffer us in reality from genuinely experiencing and knowing God in the fullness of his presence. And so, if we seek to break out of these shackles, Satan will certainly do anything to prevent that and to keep us from God. As we seek to intentionally set ourselves apart to know and experience God in silence and solitude and to be transformed by God's presence, we should expect that there will be an all-out assault against us to present to prevent such an experience. It could be temptation or turmoil or guilt or doubt or whatever. Just know that Satan won't give you up to God that easily without some resistance. Number four, the wild beasts. In our case, uh, as we follow the way of Jesus into silence and solitude, even after we've set ourselves apart from the noise and chaos of the world, even after we have fought through the tactics of Satan against us, as the silence and solitude sink in, we're still going to have to wrestle with the wild beasts that are our own thoughts and emotions. Sometimes our insides can be like a forgotten and disregarded garden that we never think of and we don't realize has become overrun with weeds and chaos 
until life slows down enough that we go outside hoping to enjoy some nice fresh vegetables and only then do we realize that the garden will not comply with our wishes and that that it has taken on a life of its own. Uh, Early in the experience of silence and solitude, if this is new for you, uh, the chaos and pace and power of our own thoughts and emotions uh, are going to have to be experienced head on. And they may surprise you a little bit when the time comes and when we are quiet enough for them to rear up and be heard. Uh, Just as we're learning to be shaped by God's presence instead of the noisy chaos of the world, and we are learning to be shaped by God's presence instead of the influence of Satan, we will also have to learn to be shaped by God's presence above and beyond our own thoughts and emotions. This is just part of the package. Incidentally, this can be a very, very powerful aspect of the process of transformation that God's work, God works in us as we become free from those thoughts and emotions that we could be enslaved to without even realizing. Then finally, beyond the noise and the chaos and activity of the world, beyond the temptation of Satan, beyond the wild beasts within, in the silence and the solitude, Jesus encountered the angels of God and they ministered to him. So what do we do with all this? And what does this actually mean for us? What is coming into focus? And how are we being empowered to live a more eternal kind of life through God's work and his spoken word in this passage? First, we need to let it sink in that Jesus is not only the truth and he's not only the life, he is also the way. He is the founder of the kind of life we're all seeking to live. He's the example. And this is extremely empowering. Jesus did not leave us to our own wisdom and power for life. He didn't leave us here to flounder and to drift between the day that we come to know him and the day that we go to be with him in heaven while we await the new creation. He is the way, and we can look to Him, even in practical ways, uh, in order to understand how we might live well before God. So we look to Jesus as the way. Second, uh, we need to pay attention to the details, as I just mentioned, of the way Jesus lived and the life that He revealed. Not only the highlights of extraordinary love and service, but also the habits, the rhythms, the practices that undergirded Jesus' life, earthly life, and yielded such extraordinary results. If Jesus needed to maintain a life of intentionality and discipline, how much more do we? We've seen today how Jesus' way, part of it at least, was to set himself apart to God through the regular practice of silence and solitude. So, number three, Three, in this uh, responsive uh, consideration, quite simply, we need to embrace Jesus as our way and practice the same things. We need to adopt 
uh, silence and solitude. We need to set ourselves apart unto God in this manner, just like Jesus did. And then finally, as we do so, we are empowered because we know something of what lies ahead of us in this practice. We can be confident in it because we know that the Holy Spirit leads us uh, into the silence and the solitude. We don't need to be caught off guard when the devil comes against us or when we face the wild beasts of our own thoughts and emotions. And then there, in the silence and the solitude, we can expect a divine and life-transforming encounter as we become fully present to the God who is always with us and as we learn to hear His voice and discern His work in and around us. Hopefully in all this, we can begin to see more clearly and confidently that an eternal kind of life can be a present reality right here and right now. Today's conversation, in fact, is important enough that we'll return to it a few more times over the coming weeks. Specifically, in the next episode, we will work through some of the nuts and bolts of silence and solitude in something of an introductory how-to episode. And we'll also briefly explore some further resources that could be helpful in advancing your practice of silence and solitude if you are being drawn deeper into the life of Jesus by the Holy Spirit. But that's it for now. Jesus is the way, so let's follow him in setting ourselves apart to God in silence and solitude. If today's episode has helped bring your world into a little better focus, please give it a good rating and review. That actually helps a great deal so that others can find the show as well. You are also more than welcome to share it directly with your friends on social media or through word of mouth or via any other uh, method that you would choose. In future episodes, if you'd like to hear some thoughts about something specific from the Bible or a particular big Christian idea that might help bring your world into better focus, please email me using the address included in the show notes. I would love to hear from you. And until next time, thanks again for being a friend of the show and for tuning into the In Focus podcast. May God continue bringing your world into clearer focus, and may He lead you and empower you to live an increasingly eternal kind of life before Him.